I'm Kier from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast and part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by The CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's favorite newspaper. We call it the Starling Tribune. I am the chief editor tonight. My name is SP, and your other award-winning reporters for this episode number 244 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. Finally, a real fight. I was sick of this whole episode, by the way. This episode of Legends of Tomorrow was specifically created for you. You, Chris, the wrestling fan. That's fair. It's accurate. We'll talk about more of that later. And Michelle. Now, this is what I call a bloody good show. Apparently, Constantine is a fan of the arts. Hey, everyone. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, June 27, 2019, live on www.geeks.live. That's right. And this evening, we'll be discussing Legends of Tomorrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements have dropped recently that could, and let's be honest, probably will impact future episodes of Legends, as well as the other shows in the network like The Flash, Supergirl, Arrow, and who knows what else they're going to make between now and October. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at GoToGeek.com, where you can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to get back into Legends of Tomorrow. So, Michelle, why don't you break down what we watched? This episode of Legends of Tomorrow is called Lucia de Prestas. It's season four, episode nine. It aired Monday, April 1st, 2019, directed by Andrew Cash. Credits include one episode of Legends and various shorts. He's an editor turned director. Editing credits include 21 episodes of Legends, one Flash and one Black Lightning. Written by Kito Schmitsu. Credits include 13 episodes of Legends, 11 Arrow, 1 Flash, and 7 of the Cape. And Tyron B. Carter. Credits include 5 episodes of Legends and 1 Arrow. The week that this episode aired was March 31st through the first week of April. And there was only two DC comic book shows that aired on the CW channel that week. Supergirl on the 31st of March aired the 17th episode of the fourth season titled All About Eve to a live rating of 1.87. And following that, Legends of Tomorrow aired the ninth episode of the fourth season. This episode we're talking about tonight to a live rating of 1.66. Actually, for CW shows, that ain't bad, guys. No, it's not. Not bad. Yeah, nice bumps from the DVR showings and such. Oh, so that was live plus seven day DVRs. Uh, see, I'm still at that phase where I would love to know live plus seven day plus CW app. I still wish we got that kind of thing. And heck, we're even at the end of the season now, plus Netflix, as long as it still remains on Netflix. I would love to know how their viewership changes because obviously they have insight into something we don't because we've seen rough numbers during the season i'm not casting judgment that would normally make you go wait a second if if your ratings are that how are you getting renewed so 
there's something in the secret sauce. We just don't know what it is. Now, Chris, you and I are producers of podcasts, and as such, we have access to podcast statistics. You use Podbean and get your statistics through Podbean. I use Libsyn. I get my statistics also through Libsyn. By the way, those two are the hosting sites that we use. And then the statistics is an additional item on both, but you can also get statistics through third-party apps like PodTrack or something like that. And I'm wondering if the reason why they're not showing the statistics for the online views or for Netflix is because they're not standardized. And as you know, podcast listening statistics have gone through a standardization issue over the last couple of years. It's still not there quite yet, but they are moving towards that. I'm thinking that viewership statistics are not there yet, and that is why they're not showing them. The other thing I don't know about Netflix kind of gets notorious for this is they never really share ratings or views or anything that they've always been notoriously closed mouthed. So it could also be a matter of the rankings associated with Netflix, how they rate things doesn't really compare to what we have with Nielsen ratings or something like that. Or Netflix might not even share that information with the CW. I would imagine they do, but who knows? They're so secretive about it. They very well could decide to say, nah, we're, we're just going to keep these numbers internal. It's a good question because I think you'd have to share the ratings in order to gauge how much money that either side charges each other. And I don't even know if Netflix gives money to CW or vice versa to have their shows on. That's a good question. I don't know. My understanding is they are paying the CW for this deal, similar to what Netflix was doing with that deal with The Office that the news broke today, that NBC is when it has got the rights back to put The Office on their streaming platform. So people are melting down about the fact that, uh, you can't watch The Office on Netflix starting in, what, 2020, I think it is, or 2021. You'll have to go buy the NBC service. So I think it all varies. People own these properties, put them up to bid in various places. The interesting thing I saw is one of the syndication rules they had on Big Bang Theory was no streaming rights outside of, I believe, CBS All Access is the only place that can have it. So like they set it up so you couldn't sell the streaming rights as part of their contract. So we're in the Wild West now where who knows what the numbers are associated with streaming platforms. Even though I watched Big Bang Theory all the way to the end, by the way, and it didn't have a fantastic ending. It had a good ending or a decent ending, but it wasn't a fantastic ending. And even though it had that, which is normally my barometer for a closed series on how good it is, I do not plan on going back and watching that in streaming or anything else. However, as per this show, it is on Netflix. I have watched, uh, I think, the last episode on Netflix. This episode, I happen to still have on the DVR. I hadn't blanked it from my DVRs yet. So I watched it this morning on the treadmill on the DVR, and I was noticing the difference because I have to fast forward through the commercials using my DVR versus Netflix. The cut is there. It's a short black screen, and it just goes right into the next scene. So you know that there's a commercial that's supposed to be there, but it just rolls right into it. And if you're some guy on the treadmill like me, you don't have to worry about picking up your remote and fast forwarding it. So I think in the future, I'll be watching it on Netflix. Michelle, I think you're watching this on Netflix, right? Yes, because it's easy for me to do the show notes on one screen while watching the show on my other computer screen. Makes sense. I do the same thing. <laughs> well, Michelle, we usually start talking about the episode, not with the ratings or with the streaming rights, but with the overall theme for the episode, which we usually link to the episode name, which we have discovered is quite the process that goes on selecting the name in the writer's room. 
So what can you tell me about the overall theme as per the title? And I'm not even going to bother to say it. You said just such a good job of trying to say it before. I loved it. Well, we learned during the episode, the episode is takes place in Mexico City with the Lucha Libre setting and culture. We find out that the Lucha de Prestas is a special type match where the loser takes off the mask. And in Lucha Libre, the mask, the persona is everything. So to get unmasked by losing a match, it's almost just like basically you're killing a character, you're killing some sort of entity. And we actually don't really get an un- unmasking in the ring. It's almost like outside of it. We see Mona getting a new side to herself. She basically unmasks her human side and a d- new side comes out. Hank's involvement with the cover-up is discovered. So we reveal another side of Hank. And Ava and Sarah have a series of arguments And it's almost as though they really just have to finally crack that newly wed, the honeymoon phase of the relationship is over and the cracks have to fall away and their true views on this mission are intense and it leads to a great dancing scene, but a horrible ending to the episode. It had that vibe of Mr. and Mrs. Smith when Parad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are doing the tango or whatnot, that same kind of thing where... They're both kind of pissed at each other, but <laughs> it did. But we didn't get the great makeup sex scene afterwards. Well, that's for a later episode. Movies and TV, man, different paces. All right. They got to stretch out the relationship drama. It's a CW show. We got it probably like two or three episodes of relationship drama. Michelle, you brought up a great point with Mona being on mass this episode. I wanted to talk about Mona, but I didn't connect how it connected back to the actual title of the episode and the theme of the episode. So that is great. You know, we had it in the wrestling ring, but I didn't connect to Mona. So great connection there. Thank you for bringing that up with me because I didn't catch it. That's what I'm here for. Now, Chris, we got to talk about the wrestling part of things because you are a wrestling fan. I am a returned fan to professional wrestling. I have lapsed for many years and I have talked about on other shows before where there is the new promotion called All Elite Wrestling that has sort of brought me back to enjoying these things again. So, yes, it is fair to say I'm a wrestling fan. I am finding my footing again, though, to be fair, never got a ton into Lucha Libre. I understand some of the tradition, but. Not all. Probably not most. (laughs) Well, according to Constantine, the muscle memory will kick in at any point in time, and then you'll be good to do those backflips off the ropes. Yeah, you don't need to train at all to do stuff off the top rope. Not at all. Nope, not at all. Honestly, I don't know when they were using Stuntman and when they weren't. Like, was the whole thing done with Stuntman? I don't know. So with Lucha masks on, you don't really have to know, though, for those guys that are in the ring, because... As long as their body types look similar, and the one dude's wearing a full body suit and prosthetics, and the other guy's wearing a mostly full body suit, you're good to go. It's the trickery of Hollywood. So I'll admit, wrestling, professional wrestling has never been, it's never tickled my itch. You know, I've never gotten into it. And I'm always curious for those people that are into it, what do they get out of it? Because it's just something that I don't understand. I'm missing that pro wrestling gene. So Chris, try to sell me on professional wrestling try to sell you so i cannot use the standard line i would use which is it's a soap opera for dudes 
you know, to be fair, that's sort of what the current product for WWE has turned into is a lot more skits on the side, setting up crazy weird storylines, and then matches that where the folks that are are in them are fairly athletic. The match themselves are not like athletic and high flying. How I would sell you is I would say, hey, go watch some of the stuff from the most recent AEW pay-per-view, and they've put clips of it on YouTube. And it was how uh, Cody Rhodes put it as a buffet of wrestling. So whatever style you like, they had it. They had the new school crazy jumps and doing flips off of top ropes and highly acrobatic stuff. They had the old school plotting fists and storyline-based matches, and then hybrid mixes of that. So for me, it's, yes, I know wrestling is fake. And when I was a child, I didn't quite get wrestling was fake. And my dad enjoyed me like, that dude just spit a blood tablet out. I'm like, no, he didn't. Heck, saw Jim Duggan just got hurt. You shut up. He's going to, he's in trouble. I didn't understand the fact that it wasn't real. But nowadays it's, you get some interesting story, but it, it's a different kind of athletics. Yes, the ending is choreographed and scripted, but the things that these guys do in the ring, it's kind of an art for some of the stuff. And when you look at moves they do, you go, how the hell can the human body do that? It's fighting based ballet almost i don't know i can't think of a great way to put it but i really enjoy seeing how they mix the theatricality of working the microphone with the skill of actually performing a match and doing crazy maneuvers and stuff like that and i like when i can forget that it's fake and be like oh who's gonna win this i have no idea and not think about what all the wrestling dirt sheets say and things like that it's another sport for me to watch even though i know the outcome is predetermined although some would argue the outcome is predetermined for bigger sporting events as well some might argue that uh, we'll not throw those accusations out on this podcast, though, at least not this week. I will say my little guilty pleasure, I guess, would be the reality show, The Deadliest Catch. I watched that, too. I will acknowledge that the boats are real. The fishing is real, although it's you know produced and what they show it to you. But the scenes like the crew interaction and what goes on some of the families now some the great thing about the deadliest catch is outrageous things happen to these people so some of the stuff is not produced it's actually true but you could tell some of the stuff is is true like if you are a deadliest catch fan or have watched the show in passing before the fishing boat the wizard which has been on deadliest catch since the first season matter of fact it was one of the boats that was featured in the little special that created the show the two brothers on the wizard, they got into a fight last season and it, you could just tell it was totally, totally made up. And then they just glossed over it at the beginning of the season because they had to get out of it some way, but they just glossed over it. And the reason that they glossed over it is a real world event happened and their father passed away and he, he was terminally with cancer. So they knew the show knew this and they knew they couldn't perpetrate the brothers going at each other. So I will say that. And I know family members get into the what do you call it uh non-scripted or scripted versions of i guess the bachelor or bachelorette that that's their thing and some of those couples get married okay but for the most part it's just all drama and and scripted and written in my opinion or produced or whatever they call it so that's my guilty pleasure michelle do you have any guilty pleasures like that yeah basically the vanderpump rules that show where it takes place in bar restaurant called sir and a lot of the cast it's a beautiful train wreck lisa vanderpump is also one of the uh housewives on, on uh, real housewives of beverly hills which i also have started watching that but lisa vanderpump is no longer with them because of the whole dog thing 
And this is what happens when you spend two weeks in the hospital and there's nothing on TV that's entertaining except for Bravo and you end up with the side effect of getting involved in these shows. I watch a Bravo show that's trash TV. It's called Below Deck and it is super trashy. But it is, it makes me feel good because it's so trashy at times. <laughs> Do you watch the one with Captain Sandy or with the other guy? I've watched both, but Captain Lee is the man. I can't say some of his quotes that he says on that show, but some of them involve glass bottles and body parts he would not drag through. All right. The whole reason why I went through that is just to tell our listeners that even though professional wrestling is fake, even though what was shown in here was definitely fake because they showed the choreography, they showed the training and that sort of stuff. It's just fun entertainment for some people, whether it's Deadliest Catch, whether it's a bachelorette, whether it's professional wrestling, reality TV of any sort, whatever it is, people get entertained by it. So just don't knock it because other people really enjoy it from you know, it just depends on who you are. Usually you enjoy something like that. Michelle, where do you want to start with this episode? Well, I think the argument with Sarah and Ava is a good way to sort of frame this. We have the mission of finding Kanone, and Mona's blamed for it, and she ends up being found by the legends, and she's going, no, there's a cover-up. It wasn't me. I'm Fox Mulder, and the truth is out there. It's the men in black. I love that scene. And Zari's like, hey, Sarah, maybe she's on to something. Let me look into it. So you have that Sarah is doing things the Legends way, having her team go find evidence, basically rules. Well, I'm Captain Sarah. They're my rules. And then Ava, basically Hank just reams her for not being around a lot. And then Ava is like, you know, you're right. I haven't been doing my job. I've been off gallivanting with Sarah being a legend, but I'm not. I am Ava Sharp, director of the Time Bureau. And there are rules. And yes, Hank, I don't want to lose my funding. I don't want to lose my job. So we will go by the book to find the missing creature. And it's that whole, when Ava finds out that Sarah has Mona and on the ship she's like bring them to me now and sarah's like no there's a cover-up that could be happening you could be in danger and ava's just like no just do this and we will deal with it at the time bureau just bring them here and together we'll find out and then that's what leads to the tango argument and they end up hanging up on each other it's just you know who's right who's wrong i don't think there is a right or a wrong in this case I was kind of shocked that our director from the Time Bureau, she was actually on to some things like, okay, you know, what what are you talking about uh, protecting these magical creatures? Our job is to protect time and the human race. And you're talking about these magical creatures. And, you know, some of that was uh, affronting, but some of that made sense to me. Her job is to defend the timeline. Okay, if that's true, then it shouldn't matter what race people are. And if there's a threat from magical creatures, you would want to try to contain that threat. But Sarah's already made that jump because of Charlie into the point where magical creatures are, are people too, basically, and we should protect them. And she just, 
didn't have the chance Ava just didn't have the chance to make that jump yet, even though she'd been spending time with the Legends. So I, I think it's just going to take her a little bit longer to get there. I think more importantly is the threat to the Time Bureau itself. And once Nate can prove that, I think she's going to turn quicker than she would have on her own. And I think you could make an argument that the Time Bureau getting involved in this kind of business, even if it's peripherally, it kind of sets up a different potential for the timeline to get screwed up because I wager it's not intended for supernatural creatures to be in 2019, 2018 and being swooped up by a secret men in black agency to do black ops or whatever the heck they're intending to do. So they might almost be causing their own anachronism if they're not careful is how I was starting to look at it. You know, I don't know if I'm just going down the weird time travel theory of things or not where everything can be a problem or nothing can be a problem depending. Ava makes a good point. She's like, you know what, sir? In the beginning, you were just sending these creatures to hell. Like, literally, Constantine would open the gate and boom, back to hell. Ava wasn't told about Charlie. So there's this huge piece of information that Sarah has kept from Ava. So Ava not knowing that. So because we know Sarah's point of view completely because she's a legend and we're watching the legends of tomorrow. But when you take into account what Ava has seen, She's seen the legends and all the creatures to hell. Well, then she got convinced to put them in containment fields. And, but she doesn't know that, oh, by the way, they've got a magical creature working for them on the team. Yeah, fair point. There's a lot of uh, not giving people the full story here that leads to repercussions later, I imagine. Talking about not giving people the full story, Mona, flashy thingies, poor Gary, like a half a dozen times. Matt, that poor kid's brain is mush right now. The poor kid doesn't know what happened to his nipple. Could be a problem. I lost my nipple and I don't remember how it happened. Oh, yeah. Mm, so I think the effects on the multiple flashy thingy will be seen on Nate in episodes to come. That's just way too many flashes at once. I, I wouldn't even do that to an enemy. I mean, once I incapacitated him, that was one thing. But I don't need to erase their entire... Well, was it on purpose? Yeah. I know, but still, I mean, I'd be very careful with my thumb around the activation trigger. She had struggled, and then when he grabbed her, he basically pushed the trigger on himself. In typical Gary fashion. Fair enough. Okay. So he flashed himself. Even Gary doesn't deserve that. I mean, Gary's nice. Gary Green is all the man we need. <laughs> that is the only spoiler I will give you. So you have, again, for our listeners, you have seen all the way through the rest of the season, right? Yes. And Chris and I are watching one episode at a time, so we haven't seen the rest of the season. I'm sadly spoiled to understand where that came from, though. So, All right. So another thing that I noticed in this episode that I want to talk about is, hmm, how should we pull it? Uh, anyway, what I'm talking about is Mick wrote a book, a, a novel, a trashy, steamy novel, and apparently more than one now it comes out that there's a whole line of them as Rebecca Silverstein, right? Silver. Rebecca Silver. And Rebecca Silver talks to one of his fans because Mona's a big fan of the series. And he uses the plot points of the book to try to help Mona. And it ends up that it wasn't the right thing to say, but he didn't know it at the time. He was trying to do the best thing for her. I thought that was very touching. Mick's a bit of a softy sometimes. He just tries to hide it. 
I mean, he was trying to help Mona here by basically like, these two don't work together. And kind of like, hint, hint, maybe you two aren't going to last together. And, oh, here, I'll hold on to my time thingy while I go walk away for a few minutes. I assume he had to pee or something like that. I don't know. That was the cover story, I assume. That was the cover story. You have no idea what kind of flask he has on him or what he found to smoke out in the woods. Or he just played with fire or something. Remember, he is heat wave. He does like fire. He could just be like, this tree offends me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially since he didn't know that he was uh, tranking Mona to begin with. (laughs) I know, Ray's like, wait, you wanted to shoot, shoot her? (laughs) (laughs) That was was funny. Also, Ray gets to be interim captain. And completely disobeys his captain. Yeah, just a little bit. He also creates a great card game. That's so totally not based on any card game phenomenon in the past, oh, what, seven years? No. Humanity does not recognize those cards that I'm against. Okay, well, anyway, I thought it was pretty neat, and if I ever saw a copy of that in the stores, I would buy it, just as I would buy a Rebecca Silver novel. Exactly. But yeah, I liked how Ray was like, look, we, you have to understand, Sarah, we're here, otherwise the timeline's going to be ruined, so it's either, you know, us or, or something, but we have to fix it. And of course, that's when the Time Bureau people come in, because Ava has found out that it's 1961 Mexico City. And she sends in this team who stand out like a sore thumb. They come in like men in black. No subtlety. Yeah, like, like they don't even dress in the outfits of the time. Whether you're watching something like Casablanca where people are trying to blend in or the Quentin Tarantino film and Glorious. I don't know if I can say that word on this podcast. <laughs> It starts with a B. Yeah. Yeah. There's that famous scene in the basement where the people who are spies go in looking like them. They blow it because they don't know a cultural thing, but at least try to blend in a little bit before you start arresting magical creatures and such. You're going to cause even more trouble. And Charlie thought fast on her feet and got the crowd to stay and got the crowd to root for El Cura who's supposed to be the actual hero of the time. Just start a fight and people will stay. The legends do it again in that scene. Ray hits a guy with a chair about interference. Then Mick gets excited. There's a fight. You know he wanted to fight also. Does this qualify as a bar fight? Close enough. I mean, I'm willing to allow it. I was thinking it did. I think uh, because there was a bar in the room. Yeah, Mick had his flask on him. So any place is a bar that he's in technically. Oh, yeah, because Constantine met the guy at the bar drinking so yes there's a bar in this is a bar fight that's right yes this logic tracks yes yes you're welcome thank you (laughs) you just made my day see that's why you're here sp is to point out when things are a bar fight well in reality i was just channeling Haley, who is that's our big thing on the show is there's always a bar fight in legends of tomorrow well not in every episode but in this episode there was so there you go Exactly. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about, SP? I do. I want to talk about Tom Wilson, a.k.a. Hank Haywood. So we have behind the scenes knowledge, 
even Chris and I, who haven't seen the rest of this season, that behind the scenes, the writers, the creative team liked Tom Wilson, who plays Hank Haywood, as a good guy. And they were painting him as a very bad guy. And that hasn't turned yet, because in this episode, it is clearly attributing to him that he was doing some nefarious things. And I'm just waiting for that turn for the rest of the season to how Nate and Hank are going to gang up together and fix some deep, dark conspiracy. Because I, I can just see it coming based on that behind-the-scenes knowledge, and I can't wait to see it on the screen. Mm -hmm. That's fair. What about you, Chris? Mona. She's a werewolf. How did I not know this? How did I miss this? Is she a werewolf, or is she the same race as Kanone? Yeah, she is, but basically we call it a, a werewolf. It's because she got scratched last episode when he was getting away and he was frightened and he lashed out. He uh, he cut her in the stomach. I didn't realize it, this like werewolfism was transmittable via like bite or potentially scratch or things like that. But that makes sense then. Okay, it would have worked out then. Yeah, so, it would have, right? So I was thinking that her parents were being very protective of her not to work for the Time Bureau because they knew that she was not human and that they didn't want her to put her at risk. That's where my mind was at the end of this without knowing that the scratch affected her. Yeah, it's the scratch. And they basically call it a werewolf because she will call that side wolfy. So just to make everything easy, they just say werewolf. That's great. I mean, Wolfie is, is a total Mona nickname. That is awesome. Yeah, I like it. You will get more of Wolfie throughout the rest of the season. The other thing that I would want to mention is that John Constantine, the last few episodes that we watched were the end of the first half of the season as we went into the mid-season finale in the multiple months break. And while he was there... He wasn't really used in the deep magical sense that he had been used the previous episodes, and he started to take kind of a little of a backseat to the rest of the cast. Just want to point that out that this episode, because Constantine was being the character was being used so much, I kind of like them pulling him back a little bit so it could focus on the other characters in the legends. Yeah, I liked how he was just a guy who liked wrestling and could be in the guy's corner giving him a pep talk in a Constantine way. The other thing that was pretty cool about both the situation of 1961 Mexico and Constantine's like of the era and everything was Americans, and let's face it, the show is largely marketed to Americans, even though it's worldwide and definitely Canada has it as well, and it's shot in Canada. But there is not as deep of appreciation into Mexican culture as there is American or Canadian culture. So I thought it was really neat that they brought that aspect into the show. Yeah, me too. That's one of the great things about this show. They can just go anywhere and honor different cultures and such. And another one is coming up that has mixed reviews. I can't wait till you guys watch it. I'm intrigued. As am I. So what do we got coming up in the future for us, Michelle? Well, the next episode of Legends we're going to discuss is called The Getaway. It's season four, episode 10. It aired Monday, April 8th, 2019. When Hank commandeers the Wave Rider in 1973, the Legends find themselves on the run in an RV after kidnapping the president who was only able to tell the truth. 
directed by Viet Nguyen, and written by Matthew Mala and Ubay Muhammad. Live from the Starling Tribune main news desk on floor 52 of the Starling Tribune Tower, it's the weekly news roundup with award-winning news anchor, Michelle Ely. And now, Michelle Ely. We actually do have a few news items this week, and Chris is going to get us started about schedules. That's right. They have released the early schedule for fall premiere dates, so we can all go, ooh, how are we going to plot out what we're going to do to catch all these TV shows? So let's run through the premiere dates, which will give you an idea of when these shows are going to air. So we start on Sunday, October 6th, with the series premiere of Batwoman at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed up by Supergirl, 9 p.m. On Tuesday, October 8th, we have The Flash's season premiere at 8 p.m. It is the only superhero show that night, on October 8th at least. But moving forward to October 15th, we get The Flash at 8 p.m. And then Arrow's final season premiere at 9 p.m. So you have Flash and Arrow on Tuesday night. And then finally, Monday, October 21st, we get at 8 p.m. the new episode of All-American. And at 9 p.m., Black Lightning's season premiere. So. Pretty stacked beginning of the season here, guys. Yeah, I got a question for you guys, and I know we talked about it before, but I missed it. Is Black Lightning going to be in the crossover this year? They haven't said. Yeah, as of right now, no. Okay. And then for the viewers that might not know, All-American is not a DC comic book show. It's a, a high school football show, if I'm or, or remembering correctly, or college football show. Yes. My bad there. I thought it was, but I couldn't remember what it was, so I just powered through. I just put that in there so people would know that it's 8 p.m. All-American, a non-superhero show, followed by a superhero show. Interesting programming. It's the CW. We talked about last year how they had too much programming to fit on their schedule, and I think they're still in that same boat now. Even with opening up Sunday, it sounds like they've got too much programming, so you're going to get a lot of do a full run in the front half of the year, and then the back half of the year, bring a new show on kind of thing, it seems. I'm noticing a show not there, though. Legends is going to be coming mid-season. Yeah, that's too bad for them. And I guess that leads into the next news point, right? Yes, coming up is San Diego Comic-Con and WBTV announced the Arrowverse panel lineup. All of this takes place on Saturday, July 20th in Ballroom 20. At 10.30 a.m. to 11.45 is Batwoman pilot screening and Q&A. 3.30 to 4.15 p.m. Arrow special video presentation and Q&A. 4.15 to 5 p.m. Supergirl special video presentation and Q&A. 5 to 5.45. Black Lightning special video presentation and Q&A. And 5.45 to 6.30 p.m. The Flash special video presentation and Q&A. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Michelle, Michelle, I have a question. Yes. Where's Legends of Tomorrow and at San Diego <laughs> Comic-Con? Well, this brings us to my next little, well, news item. Tala Ashi's Twitter account, you know, who plays Zari. Well, we are Lotzers at Katie Lotz Army tweeted, disappointed to hear that Legends of Tomorrow won't be at this year's San Diego Comic-Con. And she replied, us not being invited to Comic-Con is the most on-brand Legends thing to happen us this week, in parentheses, year? That's fair enough. At least they have a sense of humor about it. 
I, what are you going to do? I mean, you still have to do fan service, so you got to make light. I mean, if she would have gone in, or any of them actually would have gone in, I would see like Dominic Purcell being prime for this, by the way. Any of them would have gone in online and just railed against it. It just it, it would have come across as bitter and and not fan service at all. It wouldn't People that like the show wouldn't have been happy about it and people that couldn't care less would be like, oh, that's just a bitter cast member. I'm never going to watch that show. They got to be bitter so i i think this was a classy way to handle it in my opinion but i'm not a media guy it's either laugh or cry right so let's have a laugh i really think the legends actors probably have like their own little chat thing going on and and they're probably like yeah this is so us isn't it and they probably are we're like yeah yep mm-hmm it's just, oh, it's so bad because it is such a fun show. And, and I realize that not everybody's into it, but it is, a, for those of us that are into it, it's a fun show. Like the whole mid-season finale, that was awesome with the Puppets of Tomorrow. Oh, Chris, that was our favorite, right? Puppets of Tomorrow. I'm a sucker for a puppet episode. Just ask the creators of Angel when they did it in season five. Sirens of Space Time it was just fun. And no other show could do that, right? You couldn't pull that off in any of the other shows. Nope. I know Legends sort of reminds me of The Expanse, where not enough people watch it, but then you have critics from io9, Gizmodo, Rolling Stone even, praise the show, and they're like, more people need to watch this, and it's like, yeah, that's what people keep saying about The Expanse. The Expanse is an awesome show, completely on the other side of the spectrum of Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, critically acclaimed, people should watch this show. Keep that show in the back of your head, kids. We're going to touch on it here in a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to touch a little bit on it right now. Okay, we're just going to talk <laughs> about how great The Expanse is because Jeff Bezos, right? The guy who's one of the richest guys on the planet said, I'm going to save that show because that show is cool. That show is one of the best things on TV. And he stopped a meeting, called his TV production guys or his prime streaming guys and said, we're going to buy the show. And so they bought the show. I mean, it didn't happen that quickly, but that's in, in a sense what happened. So, yes, The Expanse is so important that Jeff Bezos himself saved it. If you haven't caught it, go ahead, catch it again. I'll tell you guys one thing. On the, I'm in the treadmill a lot now, just trying to get active again and, and try to rehabilitate my back and stuff like that. So I'm on it for an hour, hour and a half in the morning. I've been watching a lot of TV as I do that because just the weather hasn't been all that great in the mornings around here to go out and walk or run or something like that. So I've been in my home theater level treadmill room and I've been watching uh, man in the high castle. I've been catching up on that and that's a great show too. It's a little bit more in depth than a lot of the other shows and it does have an alt history to it. But if you're into time travel, if you like legends of tomorrow, you are probably going to like man in the high castle. Anyway, the next show that I watch, and I'm going to mainline it from front to end because season four is coming out. I'm going to watch all of The Expanse in preparation for it, so I can't wait. Our next news item comes from Chris about Stephen Amell. Yeah, we always like to talk about Captain Amell on the show because he's a fun follow. He interacts really cool with his fans on Facebook and Twitter. And he was kind of amused by a clue that came up on Jeopardy, stating in his own tweet, this is expletive you can't buy. What was the clue, folks? Well, the clue was, this show, starring Stephen Amell as a billionaire who takes aim at crime, began in 2012. Get the point? That's right. Arrow in Jeopardy. 
So in the span of a couple of months, we've had Ming-Na on twice. We've had Stephen Amell on once. I honestly have not watched Jeopardy in a while, but this might be get me to watch it again. All these clues for superhero stuff. That's true. And in our final piece, this is coming from the comic book side. And I'm bringing this up because I love Vertigo. That's where I found Sandman and Constantine. So it does relate. DC Entertainment has confirmed that as of January 2020, Vertigo, renamed in part for last year's shakeup as DC Vertigo, will wrap up operations, as will the DC Zoom and DC Inc. YA brands. Replacing Vertigo, Zoom, and Inc. will be three new age-based labels for all of DC Comics content. DC Kids for readers age 8 to 12, DC for readers 13 and above, and finally DC Black Label for readers 17 and above. In a statement acknowledging the closure, DC Editor-in-Chief Dan Didio stated, We're returning to a singular presentation of the DC brand that was present throughout most of our history until 1993 when we launched Vertigo to provide an outlet for edgier material. That kind of material is now mainstream across all genres, so we thought it was the right time to bring greater clarity to the DC brand and reinforce our commitment to storytelling for all of our fans in every age group. This new system will replace the age ratings we currently use on our material. I call bull. A second. Yeah. I've been dropping a lot of DC titles left and right, and I've been dropping a lot of Marvel titles too. So it's just the quality of both has waned. And for DC... For me, personally, this is a major fail because the Rebirth universe was so good when it came out. And for comic book fans like me, like when we hear Vertigo, we immediately think of, you know, Neil Gaiman, Sandman, and Constantine, and Books of Magic, and Invisibles. Oh, that cyberpunk one. I used to read it. Can't. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it right now. But it was like its own little ecosystem and it had its own style and edge but we all knew it was still part of dc it it wasn't it's almost as though they didn't like the fact that vertigo had maybe like this cool factor to it and so now we need a cool name to go with dc and calling something black label i don't know it reads to me like kind of pervy or alcohol or something it just doesn't seem comic book for me or not i don't know why they just couldn't do dc comics dc kids dc vertigo the problem is the writing's been on the wall for a while on this because didn't they fire the editor-in-chief like four months back from vertigo something like that and then everyone went "Uh oh and then when you didn't hear a lot of news about who's the new editor-in-chief gonna be all the rumors start so here's the thing i wouldn't be shocked a few years from now they go uh oops we we screwed that up maybe we need to relaunch vertigo just like we've relaunched all this other stuff and you might see it resurrected in some way shape or form and this is one of the reasons why people just don't get into comics or they just don't stay in it relaunches and redos and rebranding and new numbering it's what's pushed me to my sort of outside stance i think i only have three books that i pick up right now yeah Close to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't want to end on a sour note, but I wanted to bring this up because, as I said, it really ties into, especially this season with its magical bent. This really is right out of Constantine. 
um, with its unique legends flair, I thought it would be relevant to discuss. Yeah, it it is, and and I will say something that's blasphemy for this show. The, the Arrow comic it was on the cut list for quite some time. I finally pulled the cord on it, but it's it started out so good, and and it's just got to a point where I'm like, eh, there's so much of my time and my money that needs to be divided amongst all of my uh, hobbies and interests and you know just life you know keeping the house up keeping the cars up that sort of thing that it was one of the things like am i really gonna read this or is it just gonna sit on the shelf until i finally box it up and never read it or something like that and that that's not what comics are for comics are to enjoy so just give me a good comic like port of earth that's a good comic it's not dc or marvel but it's a good book saga read saga that too my daughter started reading saga did i didn't i tell you that nope i don't remember but good for your daughter with her good choice read monstrous it's amazing fortunately for you know saga that's opened the doors for things like monstrous and paper girls and other things like that so i do love saga i know it's still on that year hiatus and such but if you need something to fill that void, monstrous, go for it. And that's all I have for the news. So, Chris, I'm going to butt in here. And I know you usually talk about what else is on the Gunna Geek Network, but I'm going to butt in and I'm going to say, because of my love for The Expanse, and Michelle, you like The Expanse too, right? I love it. All right. So we both love The Expanse and Chris, you need to get caught up, buddy. But The Expanse is a great show, and it is such a great show that we just couldn't stand to have the GunnaGeek.com network without an Expanse podcast. So we went out and got one. It's called The Crash Couch. It's new on the GunnaGeek.com network. It's amazing. If you start at episode 32, they have gone through a lot of changes, just like this show has gone through a lot of changes. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. has also gone through a lot of changes, as did the GunnaGeek.com show. It's been through a lot of changes. Well... At 32 episodes in, they basically did a hard reset. They're keeping all the old episodes up, but they are, will be continuing with a new crew and a new way of looking forward on things. And they give all their backgrounds. And they also go into a panel with Kaz Anvar. They didn't have the panel with Kaz Anvar. They recorded the panel with Kaz Anvar at a con, which was just great. If you ever get a chance to see Kaz in person, which I actually have, it's wonderful seeing him up there. I wish I would have recorded the panel. And they actually go into that panel. It's it's a wonderful episode. It's episode 32. Go check it out at the GunnaGeek.com network and get your Expanse fix. You heard it, folks. Listen to SP. He knows what he's talking about. That being said, though, it is time for us to start wrapping up this latest installment of the Starling Tribune. So a big thank you to everyone who did participate in the chat room over on Geeks.Live. We really do appreciate the live interaction on the show. Makes it fun for us to see what you guys are enjoying or not. But also a big thank you to those of you that catch the audio replay over at StarlingTribune.com or the video replay on the official GunnaGeek.com YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek. If you happen to have an Amazon device, our podcast is on there as a skill. You just have to enable Starling Tribune and it will be there. You have full player control. It's great. Also, remember, we have a Discord server, and in that server is a Starling Tribune channel. Michelle is the most active on it. Chris and I try to catch up every once in a while. Steven's in there, too, 
as is all our fans for Arrow and the rest of the DC stuff. So go check that out at guineageek.com slash discord. And remember, you can always catch us as we record live www.geeks.live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays, although I'm going to break script right now and tell you we will not be recording on July 4th, so we'll see you all in two weeks. We would love to hear from you. We are the Starting Tribune on Facebook and Instagram, at Starting Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off at Stargate Pioneer? Hashtag Rebecca Silver lives. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag Gary's missing nipple mystery. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag sexy tango argument. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.